There's what happened, and then there's what you're making it mean. And those are two very different things, right? Um, so there's the facts, and then there's the interpretation. I, I always compare the three responses you have in stressful situations. And you know, I call it the I call it the rabbit, the deer, and the cat, right? So the rabbit will freeze. We'll just do nothing. We'll just sit there, right? Right? Uh, and the deer will will flee, right? They will it will take flight. Will run away from the danger, right? And then the cat, even if the cat gets a shock, right? The cat will leap up into the air. But in that leap, it will turn and face the danger. So it will be ready to fight no matter how much shock or how much danger is in that situation. I know it's there. I'm going to be aware of it, but I'm still taking this damn thing on, right? And so that hormonal concoction feeds you, right? Welcome to the Run Form Podcast. I'm Bobby McGee, running mechanics expert. And I'm Matt Pandola, your run-specific strength coach. Matt and I have been working together for almost a decade on some of the top athletes in the world, and we've decided to share that process with you guys. Welcome, everyone, to the Run Forum podcast. I, as always, am your host, Matt Pandola, along with the legendary, the only Bobby McGee. Today, we have our very special guest back, Ryan Peel. If you listened to our past podcast, we talked all about Ryan's prep work for the Chicago Marathon. He ran it, he did it, he accomplished it. We're back today to talk about how it actually went for him and what we plan to do in the future. So without further ado, Ryan, how are you, brother? Thanks for being back. Yeah, thanks for having me back, guys. Good to see you. I'm doing great today. Thanks. Ryan, it's good to, good to have you back. You know, uh, we haven't been communicating for... for uh a while since you ran ran Chicago, right? Because that period of time was done. And I think it's a good place to start is uh, is uh, how many weeks did we have to prepare, right? So we jumped in with with 12 weeks of preparation time uh, with, uh, you know, some background work. You would, you would generally fit, but you weren't specifically run fit and, and definitely not specifically marathon fit. So it'd be important to for us to to talk about that. And then, of course, you decided, look, I'm heading off to Paris. And so you kind of started your training, you know, on another continent, uh, trying to figure out the streets of of, of France and and uh, getting your long runs and things in, in there. So let's, let's, uh, let's start with that. Your feeling about having 12 weeks to get ready for a big marathon. I, yes. I, actually, I think it was 16 or maybe I started with Matt. I think the total is about 17. Is that right, Matt? Yeah, 17 weeks. And, you know, really, Bobby, I think we're skipping past the beard here. I, w- I want to talk about the beard for a second because, Ryan, <laughs> you haven't seen the beard. I haven't really. I've been gone in Kona and I wanted to just see what you thought. You know, is do, do you recognize Bobby today? He's looking good. I think he I looks know. great. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think I he actually, wanted to I, look like I you. lost half of my. I did, you know, I lost half of my beard after the race. It was getting too much. I had too much gray coming through and stuff. So I took mine down and, and gave it to Bobby, it looks like. Yeah, no, I, I don't have the problem with the gray. You know, I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm good to go. <laughs> I, I like it. It looks very wise, um, you know, almost Yoda-ish. So I, I like it. It's a, it's a good look, Bobby. But uh, all right, back no, to the show. I don't want to be Yoda. I want to be Gandalf. 
So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Yoda was kind of, he had the scraggly, like, kind of white yeah. hairs, but he didn't have the full-on beard. So that's that's very true. <laughs> There's power in the beard. I'm I'm starting to work on my stubble for the winter now. So uh, Okay. I'll, I'll catch there up. You go. I'll catch up. All right, back to the show. Back to you, Ryan. Sounds good. Yeah, so about 17 weeks I started with, with you, Matt, uh, probably the first week or so. And then we bought, brought Bobby on, and, and he got our running schedule, kind of the basic outline of it. And then, yeah, I did announce, hey, guys, I already have you know some, some family plans and a few vacations. I travel a lot. And so the first thing was we started out in Paris. We actually did Paris and and England. We were there for, uh, I guess, 10 or 12 days or something, and we were only a few weeks into trading. So you guys were really good at kind of looking at my my flight schedule. Bobby moved around some runs so that I had, you know, uh, uh, my travel days. Maybe I wasn't doing very much. Um, maybe woke up and did a little run before my flight. And then uh, in the airport, Matt had me doing some movements to kind of, you know, stay somewhat fresh. But it was a challenge. And uh, truth be told, Matt had me uh, scheduled to do some strength work in my hotel. And that was really difficult to, to stick to. I, I didn't have time for on most of the days to get any of that done. But I did uh, make sure I got all the runs in. And, and a lot of, not just yeah. the runs, but I think we substituted some running for knowing that I would be doing so much tourist walking. And so we incorporated that in. I'm loving this because we do want to have that transparency, letting people know that it is a struggle to stay on the plan. And Bobby, a long time ago, taught me the difference in our sort of verbiage when we are as coaches writing up our workout of the day, so to speak, versus plans, right? Versus training. And we plan in pencil because we do need to use that eraser. But this happens all the time. So I love that you mentioned that, Ryan, because it's not a perfect buildup. It never is. And that is something that we just adjust to. And at the time, to be clear, I want people to understand you said 17 weeks. The first few weeks before Bobby came on is when we really worked on your motor control, your mobility, those movement improvement um, evaluations we started with that is what again we have on our website it's free to anybody to use you went through the same things and we really wanted to get that established first which you did so what we decided when you were gone in paris is hey ryan's super motivated he wants to do this strength work while he's gone i set up all this programming for you absolutely knowing you probably 100 percent most likely wouldn't do it and that is just fine that is just fine so I just wanted to point that out because when you got back, we did get after the strength. We had uh, almost a, a full four months for Chicago with Bobby at that time. So we were well set up and we stuck mostly to the plan, but it wasn't perfect. Yep, yeah, yeah. And I think another interesting thing to look at on top of that was uh, look looking at the macro of the schedule versus the actual execution, right? So the idea was in week one and two, we would sort of complete base, uh, you know, making the assumption based on, you know, Ryan's reporting and so on, 
that that would be like the final two weeks of a six-week general running phase, right? Uh, and we went for an approach where every third week would be more like a recovery week. So that, you know, that week in in France was supposed to be that recovery week. So, uh, you know, that, that was on the plus side. But then we had to go into that strength uh, threshold phase, uh, you know, that, that zone four phase to start with, and then another recovery week. And then we were going to do more of the threshold phase and the strength phase, but maintaining the... Uh, more maintenance on the strength side, more emphasis on the threshold side, and then a recovery week before that final tempo build. So things things were still a little bit compressed at that point in time. And when we look at the results, I think that that will, will show some things that we can do better next time around, right? And I think the important thing about this particular podcast, A, Ryan's willingness to come on, but for all three of us to be real vulnerable, because I think this is important for people to see. They're like, yeah, okay, there's this marathon coach and there's the strength and conditioning coach that specializes in endurance, right? And there's an athlete with a significant amount of talent, right, uh, already. So um, people can relate to this and have a look at the details. The beauty of what the stride power meter gives you a, a nice granular look. Of, of what happened. So we've done some analysis. We've looked at the first 17 miles. Why did those go so well? Why were those right on target? And then we've looked at mile 20 to mile 26, right? Uh, and funnily enough, I take out the little data from the point two at the end because everybody has the pride and the guts and the courage to sprint that last, you know, 160 meters or so. And it makes the numbers look great right at the finish there, right? So, but but that's 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 the fun part. I'm going to look to is as you alluded to, Matt, is that the reality of marathon preparation and just that understanding. I've had this privilege of working for many years with African runners, all the way up to you know world number ones for the marathon at that point in time, and and the realization that yes, they train a whole lot more, but they rest even more, and that's the one thing that the person who has a job and a family and and a life cannot replicate. They cannot replicate the 10, 11 hours of sleep and they cannot replicate, you know, the the nutrition and the treatment and, and you know, the, the weekly massages and all those things are really, really hard to replicate for, for the average runner, especially runners that have the ability to go quite quick, right? Because they have that that cardiovascular background, like like Ryan does. Yeah, Ryan, I think with somebody like you too, with your training during COVID, I wanted to talk a little bit about your expectations for the Chicago Marathon versus what you did during COVID. Because I think again, Bobby's point of transparency, we had some expectations there. You were in a position during COVID where you were getting actually a lot of rest, a lot more rest because things were shut down. And we were now going into training during a completely different and more hectic time for you as well. So I, I'd like to touch on that, your experience in your ability to be able to do that versus now. I know 
for myself during COVID, I got in the best shape of my adult life, really, right? There was there was plenty of yeah. time. There was plenty of recovery. Sure. I slept I slept as long as I wanted to every morning, right? So made a big difference for me and I know for you as well. So why don't we talk about that a little bit and how that changed for you in this buildup? Yeah, totally. So coming into Chicago, my my official PR in in the distance was that year of COVID. I ran, uh, I was in the Boston Marathon for 2020 and had been training for it uh, starting in the late fall or going into the winter of 2019. And so I was quite fit uh, when the time came, you know, when the, the planned race start was going to happen. But unfortunately with COVID, it got postponed. So uh, like you mentioned, yeah, I had I had a little more flexibility in time. I was still uh, busy with work, but working from home a little bit more. And it was a different landscape back then. And so I continued training through basically that whole year. And ultimately I ran, I think, uh, Boston virtual that year was in September and I ran uh, 251 and change. I don't remember in the exact seconds, but that was my official unofficial PR, but it wasn't at an official, uh, you know, it wasn't at Boston in Boston or Chicago. It wasn't at a uh, formally organized race. It was me and another buddy in Reno uh, that that uh, run together, another a, a real talented Reno runner, uh, a guy named Brian Solomon, and I decided we were going to run remotely together. And so um, we we kind of linked together some different Strava segments or some different runs that we had done and came up with a basic framework for a course. And then we got on our bikes, you know, and both of us independently wearing our GPS watches measured the course. So yeah, the, it wasn't an officially, it wasn't the same as running an essential course, but that was, I was in good shape that year. I, like I said, I had trained all through the winter, all through the spring. I kept training through the summer. Somehow I showed up healthy I was probably in my best running shape of my life at that point, uh, several years younger than I am now. And uh, that's, I ran the 250 one and change. Um, and uh, so I, I will say the, the course was also, you know, maybe I, um, uh, the, the course wasn't measured in the same way. I feel like it was the, the right, it was the right distance, but um it was also at altitude, um, you know, but the course was different. It didn't have the Newton Hills and, and all that late in the mile. You know, it was it was a little different type of course. So it's hard to compare apples for apples, of course. And on that day in Reno, we had a real bad uh, forest fires going on in Northern California. Air quality was terrible. Um, normally probably would have pushed off to another date. But being that it was, uh, I think they give you a week to do your Boston virtual. And this was like maybe the last day you could run it. So we just decided to do it and, and it went pretty well. I didn't know about the smoke part. That's interesting. <laughs> and, uh, it, you know, just so I understand, though, you said Boston took this as an official time, though. Yeah. So they gave you a basic framework for submitting your results. Um and so we followed the 
the the format that Boston required, and we uploaded our results, and they were accepted. And um, and then of course we had you know our, our GPS, our Strava segment, or our you know how however we did it at the time. Boston set up a specific way of doing that. We submitted it, and yeah, it was it was printed in their official results for that year. Um, so. I've that's that's my marathon PR, but at the same time, I never had an official race where I I went under three hours. So then I decided I was going to run Boston again the next year, and trained really well that following year in 2021. And about a week, no, I take that back. The weekend I was the day before I was supposed to fly to Boston for the race. It was again held in in the fall that year. I think it was September again, possibly October. But just the day before we were set to fly with my family, my daughter's uh, class at school was set home in quarantine because they had a couple kids in the class with COVID. My daughter didn't have it, but but because she was potentially exposed, at that point, we were asked to quarantine. So I had to make the tough decision, am I going to fly to Boston by myself? We'd plan it as a family vacation. Um, a family trip and it was my birthday weekend. So it wasn't October. And I said, you know what? I just don't want to be away from my family. I know I put in a lot of hard work. I felt pretty fit, but I'm not going to run it this year. So I didn't run it in 2021. And then again, I, I tried in 2022. So I went back, it was held in the spring of 22. And at that point, you know, the, tr- the training for several years for one marathon uh, I did start having some niggles and stuff like that. So I, I think maybe a month before the race, I had stopped being able to train hard uh, because I was worried about showing up on race day injured. So I ran it in spring of 2022 and my time was 30 or something. You know, I, I, I did, still didn't break three hours. So still I had not officially broken three hours in uh, an official marathon, you know, and then, I, and then at that point, I was overcooked, overtrained, kind of burnt out. COVID had finished. Work was busier than ever. And I just got so bogged down with work. I quit running altogether, lost my mojo. And um, and really, Matt you and, and Bobby, you guys are kind of the ones bringing me back into the game here. So, uh, <laughs> so I don't think we've announced yet my official time in, in Chicago. Are we ready to do that or? Yeah, I think we're ready to do that, right? Okay, okay. So, or do you want me to kind of build first about how the race went, and then we'll... <laughs> keep building the suspense? Keep, keep building okay. the suspense. Yeah. Okay. So this so, year, so before before you go, let's quickly look at. Okay. okay so your your official PR uh, in an official race is three oh one, right? Yeah, and that's right. It, and that was run in Boston in your third attempt with this COVID disaster and birthdays and stuff like that. All right. So, yeah. and, and that 301 was set a year ago, basically, right? That's no, right. No, actually, 18 months. Year and right? a half. Because, yeah, year a year and a half. Year, year and a half. Okay. Now continue. So we just want to, oh, oh, and then the other thing that I want to mention is, is could, would you mind telling our listeners again, how old you are? You know, I, I wish my birthday was a couple years or a couple of days earlier because on October 8th, I was 44. 
And then on October 10th this year, I turned 45. It would have been in a whole new age bracket. But uh, but with the facts, yeah, I, I'm 45 now. I was 45 when, or 44 when I ran Chicago. And, um, and I did, uh, I did set a PR, but, uh, we'll wait to tell the listeners exactly, uh, what the time was until I get through the race. You know, only age groupers want to be older, right? <laughs> like <laughs> that always cracks me up. Like we're, we're always, oh, I wish I was a little older. We just want to be older so we can be in that next bracket. We're the only people who think that way. Except, except men in the 40 to 45 age group. It's such a brutal age group, right? They'd rather be 35 to 39 or 45 to 50. But that 40 to 45, everybody is just like, it's the toughest age group on the planet. Yeah, <laughs> there's really a lot is. of real talented guys. <laughs> uh, this is fun, yeah. And I, I'm sorry, Bobby, you were going to comment before too. Uh, yep. Yep. I was just going to say that it's so important. And I, I know most people know this, but it's so important to know these violent differences between these great big city marathons. Right. So Chicago is flat as a pancake. Right. Which for the average age group is a really hard run to do, especially if you don't have a rabbit or anything like that. It's really hard to concentrate because you have to generate your pace with every step. It's easy to lose focus in Chicago, you know. Uh, these, the second thing is if you're running around about Ryan's pace, the, the crowds are a little thinner towards the end of the race, right? There's not, yeah. there's not so many uh, packs on the road, although Ryan's experience were, was that it was, that it was reasonably busy, right? And then the difference between Chicago and Boston is massive because Boston has this net drop, quite a significant drop, right? And you speak about the hills of Newton, they're not terrible hills, especially for people who come from Reno, all right? But they come at an awful time in the race in terms of your energy expenditure, right? And then Boston doesn't require quite the level of aerobic conditioning that you would say need for a Chicago or, you know, um, uh, for or, or New York marathon, but you need this immense peripheral conditioning because all of this eccentric contraction of going down, down, down all the way, you know, you have these legendary stories of people winning New York nine times, right? And stepping off the course at 16 miles in Boston because they just cannot run another step. And you have somebody like Kipchoge just can't figure out Boston, right? Aerobically just magnificent. And then, you know, has a really, really tough time running Chicago from a peripheral standpoint, right? You quad failures and, and stuff like that. So it's important that people know that n no two marathons are the same. Yeah, and I just want to point out, Bobby, you talked about the flat course and that actually being harder to keep the pace. Um, I talked to a lot of age groupers who were kind of disappointed with their Chicago times, actually. And I think, again, I'd kind of like to get your perspective on this because I was telling them like, look, the pros, they have pacers, they have a different altogether experience with that. You're out there on your own more and it's a lot harder to keep focus on that pace, but seemed to be a common theme um, that went around about the Chicago course. What are your feelings on that, Bobby? Yeah, no, no. I, I think it comes down to the fact that 
the 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 flat course is so relentless, right? So you look at you know Ryan, you were hugely privileged to be in a race that produced a men's world record, and it was the first time since Chicago had a world record in many 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 years, right? I think the last guy was Kanuchi, maybe in the previous century, right? You know that that he ran the world record. So it's uh, it's pretty cool that uh, you know that you were in that race, but. A flat course, the weather conditions were perfect, right? It was a really nice course. It was a little bit of a breeze blowing, but it was for and against, so it wasn't really hurting you or overheating you. Um, but it's that ability to focus, right? You know, if you have a slightly rolling course or a slightly downhill course like Cal International or a lot of these other marathons, people tend to do better, even in Marine Corps and Grandma's. Uh, because they they give the the whole motor pattern and the musculature a chance to work against a little incline and then work a little downhill again and then work a little incline and it's just really really hard to focus on a flat course and and statistically we've seen that the average runner tends to run a little better on a rolling course than they do run on a dead flat course. Yeah, that makes sense. So Ryan, as far as your experience though and your expectations, I think that's another part that I really wanted to talk about and to delve into a little bit because we want people to understand that the process and what you've gone through is really the value in in this. But of course we all want PRs. Now we kind of officially got a PR, but unofficially we didn't. It's one of those scenarios where it's hard to say, right? You you had a measured course that you had done with uh, your compadre. And really, it seems like maybe you even went 26.4. You don't know. Maybe, maybe it was um, just short of 26.2. We don't know 100% for sure. But let's just take it at the the distance of 26.2 and say that we did not unofficially slash officially get our PR, but we kind of did, right? But So wh what did you feel about that experience? Was that a big letdown for you not to have under, let's say, 251? Or were your expectations that uh, I re really just enjoyed the whole experience and this is now an official PR? What, what was your interpretation of this? Yeah, so I always, I, I want to ask of myself as much as I can get out, you know, and so I'm always trying to uh, set us, you know, a lofty goal. And I came into this wanting 244.59. I, I would like to break 245. Um, but... I'm, you know, I'm now 45 years old. I, I've never run that time before, uh, but it's, it's just a number that I had in my mind. And uh, I, so part, part of me, obviously, you know, I set a goal. I want to keep it. Uh, but the reality is I'm not a professional athlete. I, I have a full-time, you know, busy career for kids uh, that are all active and I'm just trying to squeeze it in. So to be honest with you, Matt, I, I'm, I'm really pleased with how my Chicago went. I'm proud of it. I feel like uh, I put in the work. I know I put in a lot of hard work. Uh, and I'm, I, I had a great experience working with both of you guys. It was, it was unique. It was different than anything I'd done before. Um, I actually went into the race not knowing 
where I, I was gonna, you know, or what splits I was gonna run. I was less confident in my own ability because I spent so much less time really running marathon pace. So I just, I really leaned on Bobby to, to guide me and say, hey, Bobby, shoot me straight. Where do I need to run? How are we doing? And Bobby set me up kind of ABC goal. So A goal was 244.59. Uh, B goal was 247 or so. And then C was 249. And and he gave me pace, pace uh, uh, kind of mapped out the pace, 5K pace. Uh, where I should be for you know each A, B, and C goal, and not knowing and not having the utmost confidence that I was going to be able to run two forty four, I just in my gut I was like I don't know if I have it, but hey I'm not going to leave it off the table, uh, but I'm going to go in and try to maybe start my race at that C goal pace maybe uh, the the first mile I'm just going to go out and and try to find an opening and create a little space because there's so many people there. So mile one, whatever it is, it is, I'm just going to get out there and then try to settle into maybe that C to B pace. And then as the race goes on, if I'm feeling good, obviously I'm going to try to dip below, but I I didn't want to blow up. So I set out, uh, race morning was, was, uh, was exciting. was great. It was a little cold at the start. Um, I didn't get up as far as I wanted to in my corral, so I started back quite a ways. In fact, 20 people ahead of me, I could see the you know three-hour pace guy holding his little sign up. So I knew I had a challenging you know few miles in the beginning to get around all these people, but I did. I jumped out there, uh, used you know quite a bit of energy trying to bob and weave and find my lane, but uh, I did. I, I started the race. I, I I think the first several miles I was in the, you know, five, a 617 pace. And so I was, I was, uh, definitely, I think my first 5k was 1930. So I was, I was in that B range with, that Bobby had set for me. And I, I fell into just a really nice, smooth, um, comfortable pace for a lot of miles. And it felt pretty good. Uh, up through the halfway point, um, maybe mile 15, I started, I noticed that I was, I was getting a little heavier and I was having to work a little harder to, to maintain the pace. So I never did, uh, uh, think that a negative split was going to happen. Uh, but I think I came into the, the halfway point at one twenty two or one twenty four. Bobby, do you recall? Yep, yep. I can I can just quickly look that up. And so I think I think it was one twenty four. So I, I just knew in the back of my mind, hey, I still I still have that B goal possibly on my radar. But um, I I I felt good. I felt strong. I think mile eighteen, as expected, you start feeling. Um, you know, I started getting some rough points here and there, but really not not for too long. I think not for more than a half a mile, and then I would feel good again. I maybe hit three or so of those low points throughout the the final ten miles. Um, yeah, you were and, just un- you you were just under one twenty four at halfway. Okay. Yeah. okay. So you know a good two forty eight, uh, two forty seven and change. Yeah, and the, the 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 running felt smooth. The course felt good. I felt healthy and strong. 
Uh, but I did start. I started losing some springiness uh, as the mile, the later miles came in, and I just tried to hang in there from slowing down too much. Um, I think all my all my miles up until maybe the last four uh, or four of the last six anyway were were you know sub seven minute miles. I think there was four miles in there where I was right right at the seven minute mark. Lost a little bit of time. I ended up finishing. Uh, 2.53 and some seconds. I didn't check the race uh, website for the official result. My watch might have said, what was it, 8? Okay. 2.53.09. Oh, 09. 2.53.09. And, um, you know, I was I was elated at the finish, knowing that now, hey, I have an official record under, under three hours, obviously. Yeah, I didn't hit my A goal. But um, it, it felt pretty good. It, it was a it was a great day. I was proud about you know what I was able to put together. I didn't blow up. I was able to sustain you know for the first really sixteen miles or so. I was I was pretty close on pace, and um, I think I definitely think I still have that two forty four number in me. I'm not giving up on it. Uh, but yeah. Uh, so I don't know if you if you noticed there was a. There was a podcast that we did and the clip that they chose for Instagram got like a stupid amount of likes because in that I mentioned this concept of if you put all of your eggs in a time goal bas basket, you are missing 90 plus percent of the whole process, right? So, you know, the, the joy of working with Matt and myself and our joy of working with you and the fact that you didn't blow up. You just had a slow burn towards the end, right? And the fact that I'm an old school coach, right? And and I'm really anal about you. You run a uh, a USA Track and Field certified course, or you run, you know, you run a certified marathon course. You know, they don't give that guy uh, a two hour marathon, right? What was it? Two hours and thirty five seconds. They don't give him that time if they if they don't get complete confirmation from a three-month effort of me measuring that course, right? So we, we, mm -hmm. we know that course is accurate, right? So you actually set a massive PR, right? You you basically went, uh, what is it, like almost 10 minutes faster than your official PR, right? And that official PR was set, you know, a couple of years ago, and, and you at that age group changing age. So I, I just, you know, I, I look at the data, and the data are classic in some ways, but in other ways, it really reflects the work that you and Matt have done over and above the, the training that, that I prescribed to you. you know? So some of your experiences was the mileage might have, you might have felt that the mileage was a little less than you would normally do, right? Uh, and, and that kind of thing. But we got you to the race healthy and so on. But do tell people, you know, in, the, in that context, you know, the story about your wife getting ill like the day before and, and that kind of stuff. And then what happened to you? And then I'll add to that with the, uh, the right. immune system compromise. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so in all these years since COVID started, I, I, I've managed to avoid it this whole time. I have a pretty good immune system and I've always just kind of, I, I almost got to the point where I was getting cocky about it. Like oh, I can't get COVID. So <laughs> um, a day or two before the race, uh, my wife just wasn't feeling a hundred percent. I guess the day, uh, before Chicago, she was just kind of feeling like maybe she was getting a cold or something. And then, um, 
on race day, she really wasn't feeling hot. She was just sucking it up because she didn't want to um, overshadow my my day. So she didn't even really say too much, but she, you know, she had a tickle at her throat and she was getting congested and stuff. And and uh, ultimately after the race, she's like, man, I think I'm, I'm coming down with something. So the following day we returned home and uh, and ultimately she found out that she, she had COVID. And uh, lo and behold, me finishing the marathon and wearing down my immune system. I, uh, I think just the right, pl- the wrong place, the wrong time. And uh, I think finally I was brought down. I first cold or anything I've had in, in a few years. And so the last several days I've been uh, not terrible symptoms. It just feels like I have a, a pretty good head cold. Um, but but yeah, I think I finally uh, might, might have got COVID. Oh, my goodness. Yep. So, you know, just uh, for, for our listeners, just there was a great study done uh, uh, in South Africa after two ultra marathons. One was 35 miles and one was 55 miles. And uh, they literally tested the, you know, uh, thousands of people actually and found that, you know, the average person's immune system is suppressed by 600% after running uh, a marathon. Okay. And so in your likelihood of catching something is very, very high. So a, a number in excess of 75%, I don't know exactly what the number was in the study, but in excess of 75% of people will get some form of upper respiratory tract infection in the week after they've run the marathon. You know, so as you said, it was it was a, you know, it was a perfect storm. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you, you, know you, you, you probably got a dose of COVID from, dozens of quadrants not just your poor wife right so you know totally it, that's true yeah. it, it might not yeah. have been her yeah and maybe some i got something different i didn't feel bad enough i i ended up not even taking a test i just stayed yeah. home for the long weekend here or, you know the last mm-hmm. uh i back to work finally yesterday but i took a few days off of work and just stayed home and rested up okay well with that let's just let's just have a look at some of the numbers right so you wore you wore a stride device and we got some really, really interesting numbers. So what I did was, if you look at your your power, right? It was for, for the whole marathon, your power was 329 watts, right? And and the prescription that I gave you beforehand with the, with the data we have it available was you want to run about 315 to 320, right? Was, was what we spoke about before the marathon. But if I sure. analyze the power further and look at the first 17 miles, your power was 334. And your power over the, the from mile 20 to mile 26, your power was 314. So that's that's significant dropping from 334 to 314 with that, that last uh, six miles, right? And when you okay. compare that to the pace, your pace uh, over... Your, your your average pace for the entire run was uh, let me just quick look here. Your average pace for the entire run was six thirty fives, right? Um, but your pace for the first seventeen miles was six twenty four, which was two forty eight pace, right? So that was right on your B goal, all right. Uh, but your pace for the from twenty to twenty six, that last six miles was six fifty seven, which was three oh two pace. 
Um, again, very interesting to look. But then when you look at the granular data, what really starts looking really nice is, is your cadence for the whole run was 180, right? Uh, your cadence for the for the um, first uh, 17 miles was 181. So not much difference, but your cadence for that last six miles was 178. So you're really starting to lose your rhythm, and you know, as your muscle uh-huh. endurance started to fail, right? Heart rate was quite exceptional, which meant that Matt had done his work. You guys had done good work there because your your average heart rate for for the whole run was one sixty nine six, so one say one seventy, and your heart rate uh, for the first. 16 miles was 168, but I just want people to bear in mind, you've got a very low heart rate and your first mile was only 124, right? So if you take, really- it will be a little higher if you drop that 124 because you were 163 by the second mile and then once you settled 167, 168, 170 uh, with a little blip of a 174 there at uh, mile 12. Um Anyway, so that 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 was like interesting to look at that you had a lower heart rate for the first six seventeen miles than you had for the last six miles, which was one seventy one. But then the big telling one was that ground contact time, right? So you have a very very high level ground contact time, you know, under two hundred milliseconds. So for the first seventeen miles, your your ground contact time was one hundred ninety five. Okay. Uh, whereas for the last six miles, your ground contact was 208, you know, mm-hmm. so you, you were really heavy on the ground and you could feel that. You could feel that. Uh, then, I right, could, that absolutely. Yeah, that your leg spring stiffness had gone, right? So your leg spring stiffness, first 17 miles, 13, and uh, last six miles, 12.6, so, sort of bit 12.5, somewhere in there. Um, uh, and then what else did I want to, to look at? Um, Cadence, uh, you know, with something as in, in, innate as as cadence, right? Something as as you know, stuck in the in the human. You have a, you have a reasonably high cadence. You were one eighty one uh, for the first seventeen miles, one seventy eight for the last six miles, right? And with your average at one eighty, so you can see you, you're dropping off again. People just need to know though, with uh, you know the pace is associated with that so that's important to look at um when 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 you are running if, if you run a little faster your cadence will be a little higher in general right and if you run a little mm-hmm. slow your cadence be a little slow so that could explain it uh but that was you know still still on but i, I think the big thing is is how those power numbers match up to the paces right so 334 first 70 miles 248 pace averaging 624 and if you actually look at the early miles you know you were 22 25 17 16 20 17 so you know very typically maybe calling that going out too fast you know because mm-hmm. um, those you know 330 330 340 338 337 those are those are big power numbers when when we figured that what you would be able to hold for the entire distance uh, from a power perspective, would be probably 320, and you did hold 329, so that's that's really good. That's you know Is that's it? real. But it's interesting when you look at those granular numbers, right? Uh, in terms of the one thing I actually didn't look at. How about the vertical s- oscillation? Does that one? 
tell much? Yeah. So what happens with the vertical oscillation is, is the faster you go, the more you vertically oscillate. So you want to look inside of a pace range. So that's also important for people to look at. With vertical oscillation, the faster you run, the more you need to combat inertia and gravity, the higher you go, right? And so mm -hmm. your, your ground contact, I mean, your, your vertical oscillation looks a little lower at the end, which would be a good thing, but I didn't do that same analysis. But what people need to know is, is that inside of a similar pace range, if your vertical oscillation starts to go up at the same pace, that means that you're starting to tighten up and that your stride length is starting to reduce. And so mm -hmm. you're going a little higher with each step. And normally to compensate for that, you just have to move your rating up. So a lot of elite athletes, especially when they get hot, tend to move their cadence up because they they tighten tighten up that, uh, that stride length. You just can't sustain that stride length. But, uh, you know, let me let me do a calculation while you while you guys are still talking here, and I'll just have a look at what actually happened with that cadence as well. Yeah, while Bobby's doing that, I did want to bring up uh, again transparency. It's not all a perfect buildup, and we did deal with one niggle, we'll call it, or insult, and uh, with your calf dealing with that a little bit in the weeks leading up to Chicago, which. It would have been perfect world that we had nothing going on, but I want people to understand that these things do happen. You dealt with it really well. And again, because you had done really good base building and protocol, I felt like it was certainly nothing structural. Um, and it was something that we could actually get uh, ahead of by the race day. But I wanted to you to talk about that a little bit because when I talked to you after the race, you told me something very interesting about your experience with that. So I'd like you to to uh, to share that with people, Ryan. Yeah, yeah, thanks for bringing that up. Um, yeah, a couple weeks prior to the race, um, I did feel that we were doing some form drills, and I think I was hammering the ground a little too hard with, with my shoe off or something. And I, I ended up the next day feeling a little... Um, something going on, kind of tightness in the bottom of my foot and maybe something acute going on in, I guess we kind of narrowed it down into the inside the soleus, maybe a little micro tear or something that was happening in there. So it didn't really stop me from, from continuing the training, but I did, there was a couple of workouts that I stopped a little short, um, and just to be on the safe side. And then Matt came up with the protocol to help me work through that. And we did a couple, you know, um, uh, a couple table time sessions where you, you massage it out and then gave me that voodoo wrap to help. All that stuff was really great and, and helping with the recovery. But uh, truth be told, like the last week uh, leading up to the race, I didn't really do a lot of running. I just jumped on the bike and, and instead of, the kind of handful of short runs I had prescribed. I just emulated the same amount of time on my Peloton bike at home. And the day before the race, I had scheduled that the evening before there was kind of a little shakeout run that I did do at my hotel on the treadmill. 
And I was disappointed to feel I felt I felt it again. I, it made me pretty nervous that, you know, the race day is tomorrow. I'm feeling this thing. Uh, kind of, it was almost even magnified. Like after I stopped running, I could feel some throbbing going on in there. And and I guess you're just so in tune with your body at that point that a little thing becomes magnified. You, you focus on it. You stress about it. So I went to bed the night before race day, just really worried about, hey, you know, things could just go real bad tomorrow. I could, I, I could end up, you know, having to just walk this thing in. Um, I told my wife the morning of, I said, listen, I, I'm, I'm just going to go out and, and race hard and hopefully I don't do any permanent damage. Like if this thing doesn't come together, I'm just going to, you know, I'm just going to push through it anyway, you know? I, um, so, but luckily I, I showed up race, you know, on, on the start line and started off and I did not feel at one time. I felt that that race morning, I felt great. Um, and, and really even after the race, I, I have not felt it. So. Yeah. And I just wanted to point out a couple of things there. I'll let, um, Bobby's got a great, I think, conversation ahead of mine about uh, the challenge versus threat uh, mindset and also physiologically what's what can be going on. But I was able to put you through some tests where we knew it wasn't structural. So when we know it's not structural, I wasn't worried about any permanent damage. I want to be clear about that because if you are worried about that, you should certainly go to a professional and make sure that it's nothing more than a niggle or an insult, okay? Uh, But that being said, we also love that part of the story where you're able to just hit that challenge on race day. Your mind was completely focused on the race and that heightened awareness the day before the race is completely normal and natural. And, uh, you know, I kind of even refer to that a lot of times as being that challenge or threat mindset because you can you can feel threats coming on because you want it you want to hit your goal and you care and then of course on race day it's um it's very often that we're able to really just go with our best uh version of ourselves but we are walking that line leading up into a race you are an intense guy so the form drill you mentioned earlier um, things like that can happen. And you, you being an intense guy, I think you, uh, you really like, uh, turn that into a, uh, overload type of drill instead of just being sort of a fast and free drill that, uh, we intended. So was that an error? Um, as a coach myself, I'll say, yeah, I, I'm going to keep that in mind, making sure that we are going into things like that, uh, sooner in, your plan. Um, so you have time to adjust and really to learn some of these movements, but it's, uh, oftentimes where we learn the most, right. That we, uh, do have these kind of experiences. So I love that you worked through it and I love that you didn't even feel it on race day. So, you know, it's a process and it's never perfect. That's the main thing I wanted to point out. So people understand that, geez, um, this happens to these guys too, not not just happening to me, right? And so you're in good company, Ryan, because we've all been through that and you did a great job managing it. Uh, Bobby, what's your thoughts on that? Oh, so many thoughts, right? So I'll even start off right at the top saying when I first got to meet Ryan, he plucked this number of 245 out of thin air, right? And I, I had to play to that number, right? 
and we hadn't done the old 18 miler and then 5k as fast as you can afterwards so even when we did that i was kind of like a little bit relieved because that indicated that his that his target time was aiming high but at least it was in the ballpark right so you go through that that process and then you go okay the hyper awareness thing we know so well right and and it's the, the hyper awareness thing is not something you want to move away from right because we survived as a species when we worry about stuff okay so it means you're paying attention and you're paying attention to the right thing and doing the right things all right it's that interpretation so it comes down to again that great sports psychological concept that comes from the world of regular psychology right there's what happened and then there's what you're making it mean and those are two very different things right um so there's the facts and then there's the interpretation and so ryan's response right i, I always compare the three responses you have in stressful situations and you know, i call it the i call it the rabbit the deer and the cat right so the rabbit will freeze We'll just do nothing. We'll just sit there, right? And that produces a certain hormonal uh, concoction that will lead to a certain outcome, right? Uh, and the deer will will flee, right? They will it will take flight. Will run away from the danger, right? It's it's a good jumper. It's a it's a good distance runner. It's got a lot of high speed, and it's and its option is is in trying to get out of that, right? Okay, and that's not a great option for an endurance event. Not a bad option for a marathon, but it's not a great option for for the shorter stuff where, where the kind of combat mindset needs to come into it. I had a have an athlete going to do, Matt and I both have an athlete going to do Ironman Florida very soon, and she sent me her race plan. And in her race plan in T1, she's already talking about putting on her warrior garb, right? So she's getting ready to fight. And I said, no, it's too early. You, you have to still be an athlete. The whole bike ride, you have to be an athlete. You can't be fighting people. You can start fighting people in the last six, six miles of the run, right? So again, and then the cat, even if the cat gets a shock, right? The cat will leap up into the air. But in that leap, it will turn and face the danger. So it will be ready to fight no matter how much shock or how much danger is in that situation. So you can see yourself going through that whole gamut of things, right? So uh, some athletes will say, I, I just don't want to tell Matt. I just don't want to tell Bobby, but I, I'm worried about my calf, right? That's the freeze mentality, right? Mm -hmm. and, and then the flight mentality, uh, you know, is, is like, okay, I'm going to just, just try not to think about it, right? And the fight mentality is, no, it's there. I know it's there. I'm going to be aware of it, but I'm still taking this damn thing on, right? And so that hormonal concoction feeds you, right? This fascinating uh, conversation to have, right? But uh, not long ago, uh, an Olympic athlete of mine was speaking to an Olympic champion and she said, oh, I just got this little niggle and I just wish I didn't have any niggles. And the Olympic champion said, wait a minute, you will always have a niggle. <laughs> it's the, <laughs> This is the reality of life. You're never going to go into an Olympic Games going, I'm niggle free. Everybody's got a niggle. <laughs> <laughs> Right. I, I, love, I love that, uh, Bobby, the way that you explain these things, I wrote that down, but, uh, you know, giving people these tools and these uh, ways of understanding that it's not just, it's not just them that goes through these things, right? And whether you're an age grouper or you're going for that world record, 
we often deal with the same types of experiences. We might have a different time we have set ahead of us, or we have a different process, but we're all going through similar things together. And I think it's so important to share those things. And Ryan, you handled that beautifully. It does remind me a little bit of, uh, we'll have a whole podcast about this guys, but with uh, Chelsea Sodaro at uh, Ironman World Championships, we did not have the day on the bike we wanted. She um, had the second fastest run of the day on the marathon, went all the way from 20th off the bike to sixth place. And I was so proud of her. I know that she considered this now to be her greatest race that she's done so far. She will win again. That'll happen. But I think uh, being able to deal with these kind of experiences and realizing that on the day, I'm going to find the best version of myself, what I can etch out in a new experience in a new uh, cave for myself is that's what I think really transfers to the future as well. And that's in part what I, I know about you is that you are going to realistically have a, a great progression to a sub 245, but most people are just not going to jump from an official 301 to an official sub 245 at 45 years old, right? So this is more right. realistic what we're talking about and you will get there. And this experience is, is partially why. I think I even, yeah, I think even the 253 was an unreasonable expectation uh, in the best possible way of saying that because 301 to 253, that's that's massive, right? I mean, people that when they break three hours for the first time, it's 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 a little thing, right? It's 259 something. Anyway, so just to go back to us saying that there wasn't an explosion at 18 miles like you so often see that's statistically shown that, you know, people just don't have the training for the marathon to go beyond that 18 mile mark and, and hold on to these mythical goal paces that they choose. And so the, the vertical oscillation actually showed that quite nicely, right? So the average vertical oscillation for the whole run is 7.61, right? Average uh, vertical oscillation for the first 16 miles, 17 miles, 7.63. But vertical oscillation for those last uh, six miles, 7.5, right? So it just uh, it just shows you how subtle that is that you that you were staying on there. And then I just want people to know that one of the things that you get from the conditioning work that you've done is that ability to keep that cadence going, keep that that stride length going, because those are, are factors of of muscle endurance, being able to hold it together as as you're falling apart. And 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 your all of your form numbers show that you were well conditioned for this race. You know that okay. and then the other thing that points to that is is your very, very rapid recovery. You know, I, I sent you significant details right after the race saying this is what you can expect with your recovery. And you are you are beating all of those things, right? So um, you're not having the soreness and so on. You're not you're you're not having that lack of energy, that sense of deflation, all of those things that you see. And you probably felt that despite the cold or the COVID, that mm -hmm. you could probably go out running after a week, right? And and oh, most absolutely, people, yeah. yeah, need about I'm itching that. to get back out of there. 
okay. been on the bike a few times, you know, and it's like <laughs> I'm getting antsy. I need to get out and um, probably tomorrow I'll get back into running. We're, we're heading, my family's headed to Disneyland uh, tomorrow. We're going to spend a long weekend there. And I'm already trying to plan in my mind, like, when am I going to have a little time to sneak out for a run? So, Very good. Uh, <laughs> can, I, so- can I ask Bobby in this case here, because um, I do want to wrap up my end with talking a little bit about what we're going to plan in the next progression with Ryan. But I do want to just review something important, I think, that you said after the marathon is to sort of take advantage of the physiological fitness that he's gained and to maintain a little bit more of that. And so the about um, the amount of volume that I think it's good to try to maintain after doing something like this, because in the past, Ryan has gone like all and then almost nothing. And we don't want to be on that roller coaster ride. And the other thing that I'll talk briefly about is that really Ryan is a real guy, a real person who has other goals in mind. And aesthetics do matter to Ryan as well to an extent. And we discussed this in the next phase. We are actually going to hit a bit more of an aesthetic phase so that Ryan can get himself um, a little bit more to the, I guess, those, uh, those body shape goals that he's interested in. And that's not a bad thing. And it's important to recognize that it's like, oh, it's almost blasphemy to talk to, you know, Matt and Bobby about aesthetics when all we talk about is athletics. But that is a part of the reality of where we're all at, where we do care about those things as well, even when we have sub 245 goals. But, uh, you know, Bobby, what's your thoughts on this? So firstly, I would take the word volume out and add the word duration, right? So what you're trying to do with a marathon runner, the last part of your conversation aside, is you want to get back, and in in the case of an age group athlete, you want to establish something that is so easy to sustain, right? So if your if your nothing life, you know your your average life is forty miles a week. You'd, you'd like to make that 50 or 60 miles a week, right? So so my nothing, not preparing for anything, it's just my joy is 60 miles a week, you know, uh, and whatever time that takes. But now remember, a lot of the running is going to be easier, right? And so you don't want to put a volume number on there. You want to put a time number on there, you know? Mm-hmm. So like some coaches, they use a fixed number, right? So uh, uh, the... Uh, uh, Gwen's previous coach with Jerry, uh, what's his name, um, Schumacher, he would go eight minutes. Eight minutes is a mile, whether you're running 800 meters, I mean, whether you're running 1,500 meters or whether you're running 1,900 meters, which are a little bit less than a mile, a little bit more than a mile, we're looking at eight minutes, right? And so that's that's the number that we would look at, right? And And Ryan, with his background, is quite a high time number. He doesn't mind spending, you know, an hour plus a day out there. So, you know, if you get get back to an average week of of seven hours a week where you are running, I think that's a, that's not a bad place to to live at, live at naturally, right? So there might be a ninety minute on the weekend, and there might be fifty minutes a day, and that kind of thing. Is, is what you look at, but you still want to bring in, okay, and one of those days I'm not going to run. And so yeah, that's the kind of thinking. So for me as a performance coach and having been Ryan's coach for that 17 weeks, 
I would say the next goal, if the marathon is still foremost in his mind, is we need to bring his 10K down. And the reason why we need to bring his 10K down, because that's what was performance-wise missing in the early part of his training. Ryan literally mm-hmm. went from doing uh, LT work at the pace that he ended up being able to do in the marathon in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And normally what I would like to see is, oh, no, that 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 LT work is, is 10K work or, or five-mile work or 8K work, right? And we didn't have the time to go and revisit that. We know that in week 13, 14, had we gone back to that kind of workout, he would have stood out. But that was the wrong time to do that. We would have seen what he would have been capable of. So so I hope that answers answers your question in that regard. So that the next build would be restored to a baseline and then pick a nice quick 10k to build two so that he gets confidence in that stride capacity that he has to cover five miles or to cover 10k really crisply and really quickly and that will as soon as you add the duration it will it will bring the marathon into play and that that you know the 244.49 or 244.59 bring that into play and the only thing then you need to do is back that with volume because you now you don't have to worry that he doesn't have the actual comfort at that, you know, 620 pace. Interesting. Yeah. And what Ryan and I discussed already was the first three weeks of his uh, strength work is going to be a little bit more of accumulation. There's going to be more muscle soreness. And we talked about doing five hours a week and you said seven hours first three weeks, um, I was looking at five. We may look at how that adjusts for him, but I do look at his, um, you know, his muscle soreness in a new phase like this. And quite honestly, again, with a little bit of an aesthetic goal there where we will be going, um, lower carbohydrate, we will be looking at, um, a different nutrition strategy with him. And so all interesting to take, to keep in mind guys, when you're starting new programs. And what Bobby said, I think is really crucial there is based off of your baseline and what you're used to. And then if you're introducing something new, like accumulation work in the strength training side of things, then there are adjustments for that as well. But I see us getting into that seven hours uh, after we've done a few weeks of uh, his accumulation training in, in the strength room, which will take the front seat for the first few weeks, if that makes sense, guys. Yeah, and not hard and fast either, right? That seven was was a give give you an example based on Ryan's average running speed, and then also there's that that recovery, right? So if he's if he's struggling to keep up nutritionally and stuff like that because that's just too much work, then you know you reconsider that, and then of course you can throw in like he could spend more time out there because he's hiking, right, and uh, that kind of play. And as we spoke about before the call. We had that uh, that concept about how would we strengthen him up towards the end of the race, and so. But that that's a that's a talk for a, for another call, you know, for another another podcast. Yeah, perfect, perfect. Um, in closing, Ryan, anything that you would like to finish with here? No, you know, I'd like to thank both of you guys for all all your uh, effort and. All your wisdom that you poured into me over the last seventeen weeks, and 
Uh, it was an honor and a privilege to work with both of you guys. And and Matt, I'm looking forward to continuing. And like you said, getting focused on maybe more the um, aesthetics for a little bit. But uh, you know, Bobby, I'll be I'll be back, and hopefully, you'll be willing to work with me again. I think I still have some some goals left in me. So, um, but thank you guys. I appreciate no, no, it. you you didn't need you didn't need your target time. I can't possibly work with you again. <laughs> <laughs> of course ryan it was wonderful you are eminently coachable it was it was so much fun working with you and uh, and your 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 ability to to take on the coaching but at the same time be vulnerable and say look this is not doable and and your work-life balance ethic is admirable is really admirable you you like this is my wife's time this is my kid's time i've got these games that my kids that are playing that I want to go to I'm I'm taking my wife to to Vegas and so this will have to adjust that is actually very admirable that that those are the the kind of things you hear from a person who will be able to be still running marathons when you know when you're in your 60s and your 70s no. because Thank of that, that approach yeah yeah I want to just Thanks, throw Jeff. a quick shout out to to uh Billy Haug before we get off because Billy was an athlete that I worked with in high school. He was really quite getting quite fast. He had some goals of running in college. He was hit by a person texting and driving. Uh, he was on foot. He almost lost his leg. They almost amputated it. You skip all these years ahead. He was at the Chicago Marathon as well. And uh, he was able to manage, uh, keep in mind, he's He's younger as well, but uh, he ran 243. I'm very proud of Billy for for that process. Uh, another person would be great to have him on talking about his experience, a completely different experience. But big shout out to uh, to him, a person that uh, doctors told him he would never run again. And uh, he's all about proving people wrong. And I'd also uh, like to say, Ryan, you deserve... Um, one more little bit of credit here. Just last night, I met with a guy who was used to be ranked third in the world for boxing. He uh, came in and said, uh, I've got uh, this, this big pain in my foot. It was um, basically just a very quick um, adjustment that we had to uh, make for a neuroma. And I thought, I could have told you this over the phone. And he said, well, you know, like, you, uh, I bumped into Ryan, and and uh, so he's he's training for this uh, Chicago, and he's doing all these things, and he's uh, he's busy like I am. Uh, he's he's a desk jockey too, and uh, it, it ended up being that really he was he was there because he wants to go after uh, marathon or maybe even an Ironman. So you see, you're you're inspiring even guys like that to uh, you know really realize there's a lot more they can do in uh, you know in their lives and his athletic career isn't over. It's just a different story. And so you see you, you're inspiring all kinds of people. Uh, you guys, I believe, get your haircut in the same place and he bumped into. And so that's really, I it's think, fun. why he was they were there last night. So that was kind of fun and interesting. And and uh, yeah, we'll get him uh, going for, for his marathon next. That's great. Maybe I'll get a chance to work out with him a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you'd love that. You two, you two are both so crazy. I don't know if I can put you together. That <laughs> you'll destroy each other. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, thanks so all much, right. um, and appreciate uh, all the 
the experience that you've shared with us, Ryan. It's been a true honor, uh, pleasure to to work for you, and I uh, and I look forward to the future where we we make a good team. And and Bobby, uh, thanks so much. I know Ryan and I are already talking about how we can team up together uh, together again for for next year. So let's get after it. Yeah, and when you do those aesthetics and things, don't move too far away from your run form stuff. That's 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 your classic. You know, your, that that's your standby. It's your meat and potatoes right there. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> thanks, right, guys. Got thanks for having it. me on. As always, thanks for listening to the Run Form Podcast. And as a reminder, we offer a totally free movement improvement assessment on our Pendola Project website. Here, you can get your own personalized protocol that will help your running today. So give that a try. Also, Bobby and I are experts on any question app where you can ask us, well, any question. So reach out to us directly there. Finally, if you learned anything new today, don't forget to share it with your compadres and leave us a quick review. That really helps us a lot. All the links you need are in the show notes below. Till next time, have a great run. Well, that was that was awesome. Yeah.